Hey, this is Sandy Shepard. Yep, it's been a long time. Welcome to the Be A Bond Girl podcast. This is another bonus interview podcast, and today we'll be speaking with Olga Cordiero of the Empowerment Coaching Academy. Olga is a certified management accountant and is here today to speak about money myth conceptions. Olga is also offering all listeners a free consult. Here we go. Relax, pull up a chair and join us for the Be A Bond Girl podcast featuring mastermind coach and author of Fempowerment, Unleashing Your Inner Bond Girl, Sandy Shepard. Hey, welcome back to BeABondGirl.com and our podcast. This is Sandy Shepard, and today we have another bonus interview podcast with Olga Cordero from the Empowerment Coaching Academy. Olga has a background at a, as a, a, in an accountancy business, and she has taken that specialty and is now working to empower women, especially on the financial side. I found Olga on the internet and was so impressed with her material that I thought that you would really enjoy meeting her. So hello, Olga. Hello, Sandy. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. It is a real honor to share my ideas about money myth conceptions <laughs> with you and to rectify these myth conceptions right here and now. Myth conceptions is absolutely what we mean. It's it's not a list, but it's, it's our myth conceptions and myths that we all seem to hold about money. Now, what is sort of your background, a little short background, maybe also who your role model might have been in financial matters, and how can we have our women understand kind of where you're coming from? Okay, well, um, my mother was my original role mm-hmm. model for financial matters. She was the custodian of our family finances, and I learned how to save, invest, earn, and retain money from her. Uh, later on, when I went to university, I studied psychology and business, and I got a Master's of Business Administration and a Certified Management Accountant. Not only do you have the finance side, but you have the the whole brain side and the understanding about how money can kind of sometimes be a fearful thing, I think. Exactly. Sandy, you, you hit the nail on the awesome. head. Because it's, it's very um, whole brain, and my love is the psychology of money, mm-hmm. and my mission is to coach others financially. So whether it's how to minimize their taxes, which I did lots of in my accountant school, mm-hmm. or in the maximization of their cash. Awesome. So that, that's basically what, what my mandate is. And you know what's kind of sad? <clears throat> As quite a number of women where mm-hmm. I worked had misconceptions about money. Oh, boy. Well, I hope that we'll be discussing a little bit of that today. You know, I also um, remember from your website that you have the the FIRE program, F-I-R-E. Maybe you could just describe that. Excellent. Um, The FIRE program stands for Financial Independence and Resource Empowerment, Mm -hmm. 
which was specifically designed for women who need to develop an empowered mindset surrounding financial. So it goes into a variety of topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds like you said that, that there were some uh, misconceptions or misconceptions about the women that you worked with that they had regarding money. What would top four of those be, do you think? Um, well, the top four of the uh, their misconceptions are a lot of people believe that their financial planner mm-hmm. has their best interests at mm-hmm. heart. Uh, the second one is that people believe that their home is their greatest asset. Mm-hmm. The third one is, and there are no particular yeah, order, right. is that their MLM internet business will make them instantaneously mm-hmm. rich. And the last one is that their social security check when they retire will keep them financially. Well, well, those are great myths. And I have certainly heard them from my coaching clients as well. And, and I think that the thing that's sad is that a lot of people really do believe this. I don't think it's just women, but I certainly have uh, seen this myself. And let's start with the first one, because I have sure heard this one where people think that their financial planner has their best interests in heart. Can you discuss that just a little bit? Yeah, sure. People typically think that their financial planner has their best interests mm-hmm. at heart. And I think truly the financial planner's do have the interest of the investors at heart, but as business people, they also have their own interests at heart. And as a result, they use the old savings rule of buy and hold. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the investor basically keeps purchasing the stock in the hopes that the stock value will continue to escalate over time. And what happens here is it's very easy for the financial planner they basically don't have to do anything. They just take the money from the investor whenever the investor has um, extra mm-hmm. cash to mm-hmm. invest and just hold it sometimes indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you and I had, had had a few emails about, I guess, what you call the velocity of money or turnover money. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit later, but I remember one of the things that you said to me, which which I really liked, was one of the first questions to ask is whether the financial planner is him or herself following the strategy, which, you know, of course, do they have their skin in the game as well, which usually I imagine they don't. Um, but what other questions do you sort of think it would be really helpful for people who are looking for a financial planner and uh, what that financial planner should be asking you when you come in as a client? Um, Well, basically, what's, what's very important from the investor's point of view is not necessarily what products does the financial planner have to offer, but also what is the process that they're going to be using. Because going back to one of the things you mentioned earlier, a financial advisor earns an asset retention bonus on every client. So the longer the client holds money with the financial planner, the greater the asset retention. So what you're saying is the more money you stick into that account and leave there, the higher bonus the financial planner gets paid regardless of how your money's doing. Is that kind of what that means? Exactly, and you you can put it in one account, and you can leave it in, say, one specific fund, or the financial planner can move it from one fund to another, Mm -hmm. 
but it still stays with that financial planner, then that's how the asset retention bonus is calculated, total funds invested with that financial advisor. Uh But from the financial advisor's point of view, that's extra work to move it from one fund to another. So that's that's what the problem is. Right. But, and the thing is too, is it seems to me that, that most financial planners, I, I was personally incredibly lucky a few years ago to have a really a, a fantastic financial planner. And my first question is always, are you using this strategy with your own money? <laughs> but it seems to me that most times somebody has a financial planner that asks them, how much money do you have? And where do you have it? Yeah. And, can you put it all here? And you know what I mean? So how do they, how does that work for them? In other words, um, you know, what should they discuss with the clients? Yeah, they're more interested in, in how much money you have because that's what they can invest. Right. And where is it so they can move it to themselves? But what they should be asking is what money transfer problems do you have that are eroding your wealth. Like, for example, interest payments to banks on loans. Um, There's also different things that one can do. Like, for example, one can purchase a lot of a stock when it's undervalued or doing poorly and then purchase less of it when when it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And so these are some of the things more about the process that they should be talking about rather than the individual. Oh, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. So in other words, it's it's really what issues do you have and wh- where do you want your money to be in a certain amount of time? That's what it sounds like a bit. Exactly. That's what it okay. is. So basically, it sounds like it's just easier for the financial planner as a business person to sell to have an investment product instead of an investment process, I guess is what I would say. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Sure, that, that, that's exactly uh, correct, Sandy, because after all, it's much easier to sell someone a product and then go one's way because more than that requires more time and mm. energy. So, for example, um, I want to illustrate the point that products are not as important as the process. So let's pretend that you're going to play golf in the Masters. Oh, you've never seen me play golf if I'm going to go play in a Masters tournament, that's for sure. I have, I have confidence in you. However, to help you out this okay. time, you can choose only one of two okay. things. Okay, so you can have the golf clubs of any golfer who's ever played the game, or you can have their uh, ability. Which one? Oh, I take pick? their ability, obviously, right. Exactly. That's right. Obviously, you'd want their ability... And that's what financial planners need to provide their clients. Process, not just product. I, I believe they need to educate that's a them, great inform, inform them. Yep, I think that's a fantastic example. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me where you're basically handing somebody a product and you say, this will do it for you. Mm-hmm. But if the person doesn't understand where the strategy is and doesn't understand money, perhaps, you really need a financial planner who's going to be the expert on your team for this, but not be just playing for their own benefit, it sounds like. Well, there's some progressive companies that use the new buy-and-hold strategy. So what's happening is the stock market, it's not very quick, but one kind of generally looks at the trends so that stock allocations would be lowered when prices are high. I read about this in passionsaving.com. Oh, okay. So, and also, yeah, and also what happens is... um, when stock prices 
are low, then the stock allocations would be increased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what sort of final thoughts do you have on this whole financial planning misconception? Okay, well, uh, thanks for asking. And I believe that since each investor has unique circumstances, he or she must find a fit mm-hmm. between his or her financial mm-hmm. goals and a trustworthy, trustworthy mm-hmm. is the keyword, financial planner with similar philosophies to execute these goals. Mm-hmm. So basically, it pays to research different types of financial processes as well as the products to make the informed mm. decision. Anyone who goes to find an expert needs to make sure that that expert is using their expertise to better themselves because if they're not, then that can't be the expert for you, regardless of how good a game they talk. Exactly, because then it's, it's just a game they're talking. That's why I like those commercials where it says, not only am I the president yes. of the company, but I'm yes. a client yes. as well. Yes, yes, and I think that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. That's the key is, is when anybody's looking at putting their money somewhere, this is all hard-earned money, you know, however we got it, it's looking for an expert that can help you out and trying to figure out if you put that hundred, two hundred thousand million dollars somewhere, how long will it take you to get that money back out so you could put it somewhere else, which is sort of the velocity of money thing, I think. So our second myth or misconception, I'm just in love with that word, obviously, is (laughs) the idea. And I talked about this in my book, too. So I'm really glad that you brought that one up is the idea of someone's home being their greatest asset. Can, can you tell us just a little bit about why this is a fallacy? Sure. Um, people view their homes as assets because presumably they appreciate mm-hmm. in price. So, for example, if we bought a house 10 years ago, most likely we've seen it double in mm-hmm. value. And um, in 13 years, sometimes it can increase tenfold. Wow. Um, for example, one of my clients bought a house in 1967, mm-hmm for $15,000 and sold it for $165,000 in 1990. Wow, that's a $150,000 profit. That actually sounds pretty impressive. Well, proportionally, like it increased 13-fold, okay. so that, that was nice. But when you look at it, it's almost 30 years. Oh. So when, when you calculate it back, um, actually the client barely made a 2% return. Oh, my return. gosh on uh, his money. And in this case, he could have saved more using a high interest savings account at a measly 3% interest wow. rate. Now, he's living in his ta- house though. So, you know, how would you take account? I mean, if he'd, if he'd spent that money in that savings account though, he would have had to pay rent somewhere. So how does that work? Yeah. Okay, well, although I haven't taken into account his residency mm-hmm. costs, like rent, for example, because, yeah, if he didn't have the house, he'd have to live somewhere else. I have also not taken into account home maintenance costs in my calculations. So this would include paint, new roof, property insurance, property taxes, furnace might be replaced, flooring repairs, bathroom repairs, repaving, and the list continues because the longer one lives in one's home, the more renovations and repairs will be necessary. Right, right. And and I, I, the other thing that occurs to me is, of course, mortgage interest payments. So even though people sort of think of those as yeah. being a deduction, it's it, it, you're still paying those mortgage interest payments. So well, even though you buy it for a certain amount, you're paying way more because you're paying that interest as well. 
Exactly. So let's say somebody bought a house for $250,000, mm-hmm. but spent 625000 in mortgage payments in 25 mm-hmm. years. Even if they sold it for 500000 they still would be down by 125000 Yeah, I think that's the thing that's so interesting to me is I think that a lot of times people think of the mortgage interest as a deduction. So they think, gee, this is a deduction I can take on my taxes, and so that's great. Like in your example, you you buy the house for $250. you have actually spent $625 once you work all the interest payments into it and stuff. And people will often say, well, that's deductible. Or they'll say, I need to buy a new house because I need – or a bigger house because I need a bigger mortgage interest deduction. But in actuality, they are paying that <laughs> amount. You know, they're, they're paying the mortgage interest. They do get to take it, quote, unquote, off their taxes. But that just means that the, yeah. they're, they're not um, – they're not being taxed on that money that they that they already spent. They already did spend that money. That's right. That's right. And in in Canada, there is no mortgage tax. Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention that 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 uh, that we're do, we're doing a uh, we're doing a, a world view um, uh, interview here. Olga is actually up in Canada in Ontario. I for, totally forgot to mention that. That's right. Well, that, that's okay. Is there any other asset you can even think of? Because I think you've really hit the nail on the head with the house. The house is an asset thing. I can't think of any other asset or thing that any of us own where we kind of are kidding ourselves that it's an asset by using it. Maybe a car, I suppose. Yeah, but well, the car, the car depreciates. Right, that's true. That's a good point. So, so it's. I guess you're right. So, what it is is people are thinking it's an asset because it's appreciating, and because in America they're getting the mortgage deduction. And in actuality, if you start doing the math, um, it's it's not particularly impressive no no it's not because i'm trying to think well what other asset well there's art if it appreciates but then again different people have different tastes i guess it's whatever the 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 uh, buyer will pay but yeah exactly if you look at all the expenses that a home incurs if you're not renting it and if it's not balanced The rental income doesn't balance the mortgage yep. payments, then you're actually losing right. I, that was I didn't realize that the interest payment wasn't um, deductible in Canada because that's I think that in America I think that is one of the biggest things that people have this brain cloud over is the fact that they're getting this deduction for their mortgage interest and therefore it's better to have a bigger and bigger and bigger house even though it's not truly honestly an asset. No, it's not. Well, we we try to lobby our politics. Uh-huh. Not, it, should, it should be it should be deductible. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, I think it should be deductible. But then, um, yeah, the brain cloud comes because people think that that it's it's a hundred percent write off, and it's not. It's just against what taxes. Exactly, are. exactly. That's the key. It's like yes, okay, you you mm-hmm. see that yourself putting this big number down for the interest, but it's actually just whatever your tax base would be times that interest. And and I think people just have this cloud that, that's in their head about that. So, you know, actually, how does the financial climate that we're kind of going through now um, factor into this whole situation? Well, actually, the, the news is even more mm. grim because um, of the mortgage meltdown and the foreclosure situation. Mm. So a lot of people are bailing out of their homes, which are going on the market at undervalued prices. So those poor people are losing money on their homes, even if they can keep them long enough. To stay. And then these people wind up having to rent. And so they're, they're, they're underwater with their homes. They're, they're having to rent somewhere. And, it, yeah, it's a, this is a tough situation. I think that um, there was some real 
real problems with a lot of the ways that people are allowed to get into mortgages that they didn't really have the 20% down and all the things that our parents always told us. And I think that was just a fail safe to make sure that you really could afford what you were getting into. Exactly. And, and I think they, they had certain, for certain short period, very discounted interest mm-hmm. rates. And then, and then they went up. And for some reason, neither they nor the financial institution where they got the mortgage from uh, managed to convey to them that, look, in the third year, your interest rate's going to go up and you better make sure that you have enough income to support that month. Do you see a silver lining in this at all? Yes, I actually, I do see a silver lining because I believe with the correct mindset and proper planning, one will be able to take responsibility for one's own financial situation. Mm. And, and this is particularly in regards to the rent or buy question mm. because everyone has different goals and priorities. And, and for some, home ownership may not be the cost-effective solution. Yeah, I agree. So I think the key to a lot of this is really that what you and I have talked about too is is that assets are things that earn money and don't cost us money. I was thinking about the FIRE program and how you guys really try to help women in coaching them to understand that. Maybe we could just talk just a little bit about that program right now. Sure. Basically, uh, what it is, is there are different viable financial alternatives Mm -hmm. that the clients can Mm -hmm. take. And getting the clients to see these alternatives and empowering them in that way is basically what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So the uh, FIRE program or Financial Independence and Resource Empowerment Program was specifically designed for these women who need to empower their mind. So basically educate themselves about Mm -hmm. money and help them that way. Um, And they also need to forge positive attitude about money because Mm -hmm. there's so much written and so much um, when you see people just in general, uh, the the psychological aspects of money and how they were raised and how they feel about money that sometimes is fallacious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, basically one has to help them like overcome, they might have certain stumbling blocks. Uh, some people might feel that they have to deny themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Purchases, you know, other people feel that whenever they feel sad, they have to purchase. And and there's all sorts of different types of concerns that people have. Um, But it's very important to be financially independent and self-sufficient. So that's kind of um, the bottom line because only when one takes care of oneself can one truly take care of That's so true. That is so true. And I think, you know, the thing that I really appreciate is that for uh, people that come in through uh, our program, you're going to offer them a, a no obligation consultation, either with somebody on your team, but somebody who's going to be unbiased and really be able to help women to objectively, like you said, you know, sort of objectively look at where they are and to stop living a lie, to stop looking at myths. I, I was just reading the um, – Oh, doggone it. The um, Greatest Man in Babylon, you know, a book that's from the 20s. And one of the things that it really talked about was how I, I'm finding that many, many women 
uh, now are in just serious debt. And I think maybe uh, we'll have another bonus interview and maybe what we'll talk about, we were going to talk about that today, I know, but I'm thinking that it's going to be a really long subject. I think what would be great is if we could talk about so some strategies for people in relation to debt. And in this book, it, it talks about taking 100% of your money, saving 10% for yourself out of out of everything, giving then 80% if you've got a ton of debt, really spreading that debt out, getting getting some of that debt taken care of, but always remembering to save some for yourself as well and to get yourself out of that debt. So I'm actually thinking that might be something that would be great for another another interview if you'd be willing to, to do that. Most certainly, okay. Sandy, because I just wanted to, to take this opportunity to thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a real honor to share my ideas about money myths and to rectify these misconceptions right here and now. If my presence here today, as well as your mm-hmm. presence, affects others' financial futures in a positive way, I think we'll be fulfilled. And I'm really, really grateful to collaborate with you um, on achieving this on your show. I, thank I you. really appreciate it, and thank you for being here. Okay, take care. Bond Girl is neither affiliated with nor endorsed by Eon Productions, Sony Pictures Entertainment, MGM Studios, or United Artists. This podcast is copyright 2008 by Double O Productions. All rights reserved. Fempowerment and Fempower are registered trademarks of Double O Productions. For more information, visit BeABondGirl.com. Our goal: to build a better world, one Bond Girl at a time.